Okay, so if you recall, the sermon is entitled Evil and the Source of Evil. How many of you believe there's evil in the world? Something wrong with you people? <laughs> you believe there's evil? You know, it's incredible to me how many people in the public, in the public sector don't believe there's such a thing as evil. I don't know what they're thinking when, when they see stuff like that. They, they blame everybody but themselves. Hey, listen, we're part of the equation when it comes to that. We live in a time when evil just seems more prevalent than ever. But that's a misunderstanding. You're missing something if you think that. This is not a time when evil is as worse as it's ever been. This is a time of evil just like there's been throughout history. This is the nature of humanity. This is history. Evil has always been front and center in human history. The monarchies of England, France, Spain, and Russia, the Caesars of Rome, the emperors of China and Japan ruled with an iron fist and many perpetrated unspeakable atrocities on their subjects. Here was the leader, and the leader is demanding that heads get cut off, demanding that people be drowned, demanding that people be imprisoned for life and tortured. The revolutions that overthrew those rulers were equally vicious and blood-drenched. The French Revolution, I think of, a truly secular revolution where religion was banned and they gave birth to the guillotine, which was indiscriminately, indiscriminately beheading thousands of French men, women, and children until the streets of Paris, as they would record in history, became rivers of blood. Wipe out all these, uh, uh, these aristocrats, wipe out all these landowners, wipe out all these people. The lust for blood could not be satisfied until the very founders of the revolution themselves were beheaded in the guillotine. What motivated a tall, strapping guy in New York City subway station to viciously beat, attack a woman to the ground? The beating may have left her helpless and blind. I call that an example of, of evil. Leonardo da Vinci, famous Italian, I'm not bringing him up because he's Italian. Maybe I am. He said this, he who does not punish evil commands it to be done. If, we, if there's no consequence to people's evil, then evil will continue to be that way. We see evil on the streets of New York City, and it doesn't seem like the city wants to do anything about it. People get arrested, they come before a judge, and two minutes later they're out on the street again. That's what it seems. I mean, I'm brokenhearted as a kid who was raised in Brooklyn and, and, and would travel to Manhattan pretty much every week or more. And to see what's happened to that city, it's terrible. Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to, 12, to 16. It's up there on PowerPoint. Let's stand together as we read our text for the morning. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not about people, but principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take upon to you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, 
Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which is this book, whereby you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the evil one. You may be seated. People have different understandings of what evil, what evil is. And I said, some people actually don't believe it exists. Mary Baker Eddy, who was a founder of Christian Science, which is neither Christian nor science, but the founder of Christian Science is this, quote, evil is but an illusion, and it has no real basis. Evil is a false belief. Okay, Mary, go travel on 43rd Street in Manhattan around 3rd Avenue on a night about, about 11 o'clock. Tell me if you believe in evil. Give it a couple of minutes. Cynics say evil proves that God's power is limited because he can't stop evil. He can't. Atheist says the presence of evil proves there is no God because if there was a God, there'd be no evil. Unfortunately, what that actually proves is that God gave us free will. You're free to do what you want. You're free to do good and you're free to do evil. And would you like God to take away your free will? You know, you put that proposition out to people, I think they, without thinking, they say, yeah, I wouldn't mind if God took away my free will. Then how would you differentiate between chocolate and vanilla ice cream? I mean, no choices. You've been given the privilege of the choice. Whosoever will may come, the Bible says. God's given you the, the ultimate freedom, the ultimate ability to choose, and that ultimate ability to choose is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior or reject Jesus as your Lord and Savior. God says, I'm leaving it up to you. It's his sovereign will to create a way out, and that sovereign will is there's but one way, and that one way is Jesus Christ. There is no other way, and I'll get into that as we go along here. Our text teaches that evil has a source. And this is a fact that eludes and frustrates most psychologists, philosophers, and religious leaders. In verse 11 of our text, it reveals something very interesting. Evil is not a what. Evil is a who. The devil, Satan. He is the source of evil. If you believe life has a dark side... If you believe wickedness can be found in every level of society, from the street to the halls of government, then the Bible informs you that its father and author is the devil. He was the one that authored evil, lying, murder. We're going to get into this. And so when you see these things be enacted, remember who's orchestrating this stuff. People say, I don't believe in that nonsense about the devil made me do it. The devil doesn't have to make you at that moment do that, but he could set you up so that you will fall into his trap. Some people say, I don't believe in the premise that there's a devil. I don't believe the devil. And you're not alone. Polls have been changed in 30 years. The polls basically have been the same for about 30 years. And here we look there. Gallup's survey reports 34% polled. The devil is a personal being who directs evil forces and influences people to do wrong. 36% say the devil is an impersonal force that influences people to do wrong. 20% believe the devil does not exist, and 8% just don't know. A little girl was once dis disciplined by her mother for kicking her little brother in the shins and then pulling his hair. Sally said, Mother, why did you let the devil make you kick your brother and pull his hair? Well, the devil made me kick him, but pulling his hair was my idea. 
Jesus refers to the devil on several occasions in scripture in which he confronts him and gives him a number of names and titles. And that's going to be the working document that we use this morning. Because in the Bible, names have significance. They mean things. And we're going to see some of these names that he has. I've gotten 10, I've isolated 10 names and titles that the devil has. And they give you an insight into what his character is all about. So let's begin with number one. And it's found in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 14. He's known as the anointed cherub. The anointed cherub. What's a cherub? Cherubs are super angels, differing from all the other angels. In Genesis 3.24, they guarded the Garden of Eden. In Hebrews 9.5, they guarded the mercy seat of God. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was there in the Jewish temple. In Exodus 25.20, they are the only angels with wings. Most people think that angels have wings, and they don't. There are only male angels, not female angels. In the, we're working with the Bible now, not what somebody writes a book about. We're working with the Bible. So the Bible says that only, there are only male angels and that only cherubs have wings, just for your edification. Ezekiel 10:14 describes cherubs as shapeshifters. If you, ever like, uh, if you ever watch some science fiction like Star Trek, they talked about shapeshifters individual who, who could shape their appearance. Well, this is, comes out of the Bible. Ezekiel 10, 14 de describes cherubs as shapeshifters. Listen, everyone had four faces. The first was the face of a cherub. The second face was that of a man. The third, the face of a lion. And the fourth, the face of an eagle. In other words, they could change shape. They could be something to you and something different to you. And they had their purposes behind that. One day they could look like Adolf Hitler, and the next day they could look like Mussolini. Second, Genesis 3, 1 and 2, Satan becomes the serpent in the garden. The serpent in the garden who deceives Eve. He's still deceiving people. He divides the world between atheists and superstitious. His primary description is convincing people that evil doesn't exist and creating false gods and false religions. That's what he's about. He's bringing confusion into the world. He's the author of confusion. When you see and you sense that there's confusion in politics or confusion on the streets of a city or confusion in the political world or whatever, that's, that boy is behind the confusion. God is not the author of confusion. God's the God of order. When you think about the universe, when you think about your own body, you know you're sick when your blood pressure is off. Off from what? Where was it written that your blood pressure needed to be 120 over 80? But we assume that that means you're healthy. It means that things are going along pretty good. When it shoots up, something is wrong. The whole idea that the body is math, the whole idea that the body can be intelligently understood, this is a God thing. The fact that the sun is a certain distance away from the earth is a God thing. Any closer and we'd burn, any further and we'd freeze. That's no accident. God is the God of order. And chaos is the, is the uh, work of Satan. Number three, John 10, 12 says Satan becomes a wolf trying to defeat you, God's people. A wolf. 
Petty squabbles, jealousy, materialism, indifference, apathy, hypocrisy. Wolves follow a blood trail. Chaos and confusion in families, society, and church drain the life's blood and put us in danger. Number four, 1 Peter 5.8, Satan becomes a lion trying to devour God's children through temptation, desire to be like the world, to fit in, to adapt to cultural norms, to compromise on God's truth, to play at being a Christian. That's what the devil wants to do. The devil's got a few enemies. Jesus is number one, and the church is number two, and the Bible is number three, and the preaching of the Bible is number four. He is out to see these things change, and guess what? A lot of the seminaries are working at his dictate, where seminarians, people are going to stand behind a sacred desk like this in many churches. They don't believe the Bible. They don't believe in the, the Genesis account of creation. If, I've, I've said it a hundred times from this pulpit. If you don't believe Genesis 1, you won't believe Revelation 22. You won't, be the, you won't believe the first book of the Bible and the first words of the Bible. You won't be the last words of the Bible. And everything in between then falls apart. It requires that we in faith trust God's word. Do you? I know you do. I know you have a hunger for the word. Number five, Revelation 12, 1 to 9, Satan becomes a dragon. I think I just did that, right? Nope. To destroy God's son. As I said, number, enemy number one is Jesus. But Satan cannot destroy and defeat Jesus because he, Satan, was defeated on the cross. He's a dead man walking, but he won't lay down. But his sting still poisons and still kills. According to research, out of Good Samaritan Regional Medical Center in Phoenix, Arizona, rattlesnakes, people thought to be dead, can still strike, bite, and kill a person. One study showed the heads of snakes shot and decapitated could still make a striking type motion up to 60 minutes. Satan may be dead, but he's not, he doesn't realize it. He's still out to get you. Satan can't possess us, but he can still oppress us, but hurt us and poison our relationships and spread his deadly venom into our homes, lives, and churches. There are Christians who think that Christians can be demon-possessed. You cannot. Satan has no room inside of you because the Holy Spirit's there. You got a promise from the Bible. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And who's in the world? Satan. He cannot possess you. He can't oppress you. Oppress you means he can bring things into your head that depress you. He can bring chaos into your life to upset you. He can do all of those things, but he can't get in. So don't let him get up here. Fight back. How did Jesus get thee behind me, Satan? When Jesus was tempted by the devil, what did he do? He quoted scripture right in his face. And then he used that famous phrase, get thee behind me, Satan. Don't let him give you negative thoughts. Don't let him make you feel defeated. 
Don't let him make you think that you're the worst Christian that ever walked the face of the earth. Don't make him think, let him think that you have the worst situation for you that you cannot handle, that it's way over your pay grade, that this is something that's going to defeat you. You cannot be destroyed. You cannot be defeated by Satan unless we let him. Answer to that, don't let him. Fight back. Six, Revelation 9-11 tells us one of Satan's names in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. And both of those mean destroyer, destroyer. One of his primary targets for destruction has been Jewish people and the nation of Israel. He has not hit the mark. He continues the effort. He will never succeed. This is why God tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. What's going on right now? Right now is a demonstration of what the evil ones has on his agenda to destroy Israel. Why do we pray for the peace of Jerusalem around here? Oh, this church loves the Jews. Amen. Yes, we love the Jewish people. We know where our Savior came from. We know the promises that God's made about Jesus and the, and the Jewish people. War and genocide, the destruction of whole races of people, are high on Satan's agenda. You're seeing it worked out right now. Satan desires to destroy homes, lives, reputations, and churches. He uses drugs, alcohol, sex, power, fame, money to achieve those ends. Number seven, Matthew 12, 24. God, uh, the Bible calls him Beelzebub. And that is interesting. That's a word that means Lord of the garbage. Lord of the garbage. Because he rules from the mountaintop of wrecked and wasted lives that he has helped destroy. Eight, number eight, John 8, 44, labels him a liar and a murderer. His lies have murdered countless millions of people throughout history in the name of a variety of things. Somebody said to me a couple of days ago, why do all the religions, be, are, are they the cause of all the wars? And I said, how about politics? Is that a cause of war? I mean, I know that certain people, if you mention the name of a certain ex-president, they go ballistic. I'll never mention his name, Woodrow Wilson. No. I mean, I mean when you think about it, people go ballistic now for politics. There are families who are basically, they don't want to have Thanksgiving because they don't want to talk politics. Don't talk about politics. But don't say don't come for Thanksgiving. But that's what's happening. So when people say that religion has done that, no, that's not all. Ethnicity has done it. Patriotism has led to wars. Idealism, communism, Nazism, and other, other ISMs. Satan, Satan's lies have killed adults in their homes and workplace, school kids in their classrooms, and babies in the womb. The best protection against Satan's lies is to know God's truth. Amen? Amen. Amen. Shout me down, brothers and sisters. Consequently, one of the strongest priorities is to make man believe that he cannot live, that he can live without God. And that's starting to work. The idea that man can live without God is being accepted by a whole segment of a population of young people. They call themselves the nuns, not N-U-N, 
N-O-N-E, because they have no affiliation with any religious activity. Now, the, the, the case for atheism is rising. The number of atheists is rising in our country. This was the country that was the greatest uh, source of revival in the world, sending out missionaries to every place in the world, and now that stuff is dying by the wayside. This is Satan's highest priority, to make people think that we can live without God and his word. Number nine, 1 Peter 5.8 calls him our adversary. He is the enemy. He is the face of evil. When you wonder what's behind this and you shake your head and you say you don't understand, you're wrong. You do understand. You understand much better than most professors in, in, in best universities in the world. They don't put this on Satan. They put it on a million other things we've shared already this morning. But you and I know, based on the truth of this book that we put our faith and trust in, that it's Satan is behind this stuff. Number 10, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Because he is, quote, the God of this world. Pastor, did you make that up? No, that's in the Bible. In, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says that he is the God of this world. Satan is the diabolical mastermind backing up a world system that deceives and enslaves the minds and lives of people. There's a system, even in our country, and it's, uh, it's sick. The system is sick. The system is corrupt. And if you look around, if you pay attention, don't keep your head in the sand, but every so often take it out and look at the world events, and especially in our country, and you see that the system is going downhill. The system is corrupt, and the system is. Satan promises the best. Satan promises you the best, but he pays with the worst. Satan promises honor, but he pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure, but he pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life and ultimately he pays with death. Who do you want? Who, which side of the equation do you want to be on? Who do you want to serve? The God of this world and all that that means? All the little uh, silvery things that the world hangs in front of you that promises you and that just doesn't happen? Do you want to be seduced into that side of the equation? Or do you want to be on God's side? Do you want to stand with Jesus? Do you want to stand with the God of this world? This is how Satan manipulates people's behavior, worldviews, thinking, and opinion. He's tricky. He's very tricky. Hiding behind the veil of religion, intellectualism, education, art, poetry, music, social media, entertainment, government, mass media, and human institutions. He's infiltrated all of those. And more. So this is how he affects your mind. The stuff that you see on TV, the stuff that you see in your movies, the stuff that you see on, 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 the, on the internet, all of these things, they're in one of two camps. They're either with Jesus or they're with Satan. And as you read of those things, are they bringing, is the stuff I'm looking at, the stuff I'm watching, the stuff I'm learning, is it bringing me closer to Jesus or pushing me away from Jesus? If you can answer that question honestly, you know where you're at. Which side of the equation you are? It ain't hard. Modern thoughts reject the antiquated idea that Satan is the origin of evil.
Imagine that. They think there's no such thing. Consequently, we have many explanations for evil. And you've heard all of these if you've ever listened at all or read the news. They blame it on poverty. They blame evil on guns, racial and gender inequality, climate change, politics, government, politicians. But we won't put Satan in the mix. We're just too sophisticated for that. As such, we remain vulnerable and ill-equipped to fight the true source of evil. The evil God of this world will one day be judged to his fiery demise, but for now we must fight back. Our text in Ephesians 6 listed the offensive spiritual weapons at our disposal to fight the ultimate spiritual foe, Satan. It said the truth is one of the weapons that God has given you. Where does truth come from? Here, not from me from the Bible, the truth. This is the truth about Satan and his ways. Out of the Bible, let the truth differentiate for you the things that you're hearing and the things that you're thinking. Righteous living, in other words, trying to do the right thing. Trying to do the right thing defeats Satan because he, won't, he doesn't want you to do the right thing. So if you're doing the right thing, you're going against what he wants. So how about we make a deal? Let's go against what he wants every day. Let's really shove it to him and do right. Peace. No matter what Satan throws at us, we can have peace. Sometimes when we get tempted of the evil one, we're ready to fall apart. And what's tempting you? What's testing you? Tempting often gets misconceived. But what's temptation is a test. What's testing your faith right now? Whatever it is that's tempting your faith and testing your faith right now needs to be defeated. And God's book is, will help you do that. Faith. He wants to test your faith. And it's your faith that's going to get you through. Your faith is going to give you victory over the things that are upsetting you. You must believe. You must put your faith into the things that you believe. You must be able to stand for what you believe. You must be able to encourage others with what you believe. You must not be afraid of, of what may come at night or what may come in the morning. Don't let yourself be led by your fears. Be led by your faith. The Bible, that's the strong thing that we have on our side for truth. And one another, Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another. So the more as you see the day coming, my job as your pastor is to encourage you. My job is to open up this book and show you how you can live today and be stronger today, have peace today, be encouraged today, overcome today, be able to spread God's love today. What a privilege and what an opportunity we have to reach a wider audience of people over the radio. I can't tell you how many people over the years have come just because of WDVR. And people have come here because of live stream. And people have been encouraged by live stream and our website. Every so often I hear, I hear accounts from people that, they are, that they're listening and they're learning. We've had a number of people get saved because we've been able to speak to them over the internet. People who don't live in the general area. Isn't that a privilege? People send out missionaries. We are standing here and we're missionaries. 
people have come to Christ, come to the church, been strengthened in their grip, uh, the grip on their faith in Christ and his word. Without Christ, we cannot push back on evil or the evil one. Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? That's what I want to close on today. I am so sure that everybody here knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but maybe somebody doesn't. I'm quite sure that many of the people who are watching or listening right now as we speak know Jesus as their Savior, but I'm not so sure. And I would, want, I would really be remiss if I would have to stand before the Lord and have somebody look me in the face and say, Pastor, I wasn't, in the, I wasn't in the meeting house at the time, but I needed Jesus and you never told me how to become a saved, how to, how to come to know Jesus as my Savior. So when we close in prayer, I'm going to give folks here and who are watching or listening the opportunity to know how to receive Christ as Savior. Let's bow our heads. Father, you taught us how to overcome the evil one, and that's what's good, the good that only you can have. You're the God that's good. Satan is the God that's evil. Help us to be good by receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and being cloaked with his goodness. And so if there be any here today who don't know Jesus as Savior or any listening in, first recognize that you and I, before we get saved, we've sinned against God in our thought life, in our behavior, and we're feeling remorse about that. And so we want to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sin. And then we want to ask him to allow the Holy Spirit to enter us, come into our heart, come into our mind, come into our body. And then we want to ask the Lord to help us to be able to repent of our sin and not go back there again. And then we want to remind the Lord that we believe in the Jesus of the Bible, the one who died on the cross for my sin, the one who was buried in the ground three days, the one who rose again, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's coming for us in the rapture. So, Father, if we receive Jesus in our Savior because we've asked ourselves those questions and we've made those statements, we're part of the family of God, no longer under the influence of Satan. I pray your blessing upon our time now as we go to our homes. In Jesus' name, amen.